Could our conservative ultra-right-wing radical Supreme Court allow states the legal ability to steal presidential elections? Welcome to another episode of Impolite Company. I'm your host, Scott Wingeter. An article by Jessica Levinson on July 11th states, quote, Our conservative Supreme Court stands ready to allow states to legally steal presidential elections by blessing a right-wing legal theory called independent state legislature doctrine. It is not an overstatement to say that this case could completely upend elections and erase the power of our vote for president. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about how the presidential election works, what this legal doctrine is, uh, and how we're just going to unpack this idea. So the GOP, the Republican Party, controls 30 out of the 50 state legislatures across the United States as of right now. That, of course, is subject to change in the upcoming November election, and then come January 1st, 2023, it's going to look different. I can't tell you what it's going to look like. I'm not Nostradamus. Uh, however, given the just abject failure of the Biden administration and the generic polling of Democrats versus Republicans, I'd say to expect at least a complete domination still of the GOP in the state legislature, which of course makes the left very nervous going forward, particularly in this case. If the court were to completely embrace this doctrine of an independent state legislature, the left fears the results. Let's take a deep dive into this idea and unpack the validity of this legal theory. So on 30 June, the Supreme Court of the United States took up a case from the North Carolina Republican legislature um, it's that challenged a North Carolina state Supreme Court ruling over uh, their new redistricting map that the legislature had drawn. Uh, drawn. So the purpose of redistricting, I'm sure you guys know, um, you know, every 10 years you get this piece of paper in the mail called the census. Sometimes, you know, annoying like 22 year olds knock on your door that are trying to pay the way through college and they ask you all sorts of questions for the purpose of the census. And the, one of the main ideas of the census, other than to say how many people live here in the United States, the, the main thrust of the census, if you will, is to apportion the number of House of Representative seats that each state gets in Congress. So the higher your population, the more seats you get. California has the highest population out of any state in the Union. I think they're up to what is it, 51 uh, Congressional House of Representative seats uh, with the new census. And Wyoming, the least populous state, they only get one seat in Congress. That's how you divvy up the congressional seats in, in the House of Representatives in Congress. So that's the purpose of the census. And then with that census data, you also redistrict not just your U.S. House of Representative seats in the state, but you also apportion your uh, state House of Representatives and your state Senate seats as well. So you're going to draw new maps, new district lines, depending upon where people are living at. The, again, the higher concentration of people means that you're going to get more representation out of that area. So, you know... 
a place like Houston, Texas is going to have several tiny, small little districts where if you go out to like the Texas Panhandle, for example, uh, you could have a Texas House of Representatives uh, district that stretches several different counties and it looks a lot more like a congressional district than it does a state House of Representatives uh, seat. So that's the purpose of redistricting. Now, how do we get the total of electoral college seats? Uh, well, it's pretty simple. Uh, how many senators does each state get? They get two. So you count that. So every state starts off with two. And then you add the number of House of Representative seats that they get in the House of Representatives. So, for example, Wyoming, like I said, the least populous state, they're going to get two seats, uh, two electoral college votes for their senators, and they're going to get one for their one House of Representatives member. Uh, you get a state like Texas. Texas is now up to, I think it is, uh, what is it, 40 electoral college votes. That's because we have 38 congressmen and two senators. Um, and that's how you get the electoral college. So the purpose of the electoral college, of course, is to elect the president of the United States. So I'm going to read for you again our quote right at the top uh, of our um, episode today. Our conservative Supreme Court stands ready to allow states to legally steal presidential elections by blessing a right-wing legal theory called independent state legislature doctrine. It is not an overstatement to say that this case could completely upend elections and erase the power of our votes for president. Jessica, Jessica, are you listening? I know you're an MSLSD opinion columnist, but listen, are you listening? You don't get a vote for president. That's right. For all of you out there that think that you somehow live in a democracy, I have just one challenge for you. I want you to stand up wherever you are right now, if you can stand, and I want you to place your hand over your heart, and I want you to pretend like you're looking at the flag of the United States, like you're in some classroom, and I want you to repeat after me. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and... To the democracy which it stands. Wait, no. And to the republic for which it stands. Democracy is a dangerous thing, okay? It's a disaster where uh, if, if it's implemented at a national level, especially with 320 million Americans, okay? 330 million with the new census. Um it would never work. It didn't work in Athens where it was tried, you know, 2,500 years ago. It, it was a complete disaster there as well. If you don't believe me, ask Socrates. Oh, wait, you can't. They made him drink a cup of hemlock because he was perverting the youth. And they killed him by a democratic vote. So democracy is dangerous. And the framers of the Constitution knew this. That's why they set up the Electoral College. Um, now... The way that the Electoral College works is each state is going to hold an election, all right? It's not election day for the President of the United States. It's 50 separate elections for the President of the United States, 51, including Washington, D.C. They do get three electoral votes. Um, so there's 51 elections that happen during a presidential election. And what happens is everybody in the state goes out and they vote. 
you know, for twenty for the twenty twenty election, we had a choice of Donald Trump or Joe Biden. And so you go out and you vote. I'm voting for Donald Trump. Well, no, I'm not voting for Donald Trump. What I'm really voting on is I'm voting on a slate of electors. I'm voting for a slate of Republican electors. At the time, the state of Texas had 38 um, electoral votes, and I was voting for those 38 men and women that were Republican and giving them the power then to vote in the electoral college. And so all of those electoral votes then went to the Republican in this case, because Donald Trump won the, quote, popular vote here in Texas, you know, and Biden won in other states. And you tally all of those electoral votes up and whoever gets over 270 wins the electoral college. Now, what this legal theory is all about, the independent state legislature doctrine, is, is this idea. There's two clauses in the Constitution. The first one's in Article 1, Section 4, Clause 1. It says, it's called the Election Clause. The times, places, and manners of holding elections for senators and representatives, blah, 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 shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. And then in Article 2, you have the Presidential Electors Clause, which sounds very f- similar to the, the elections clause, it says, each state shall appoint in such a manner as the legislature thereof shall direct a number of electors. All right. The idea is states have in their, in their state legislatures, they have the plenary power, means the sole legal power, right, to dictate when elections are going to be held, how those elections are going to be held, uh, and what what the law for each state is going to be, what that looks like. Um, and if they, you can set it up however you want, and that's the idea of federalism, right? You have 50 states in, in Washington, D.C. Uh, as well, 51 elections, and the legislatures of those states decide what that election law is going to look like. Now, what happens if that election law isn't followed, as in the case of, say, Pennsylvania, or Georgia, or Wisconsin, or Nevada, or Arizona, back in the 2020 presidential election. Well, what really ought to have happened is those legislatures, all of which are controlled by solely by the Republican Party, really should have taken back their plenary power, their control over uh, how the electors are elected, what slate of electors are we going to put in place here, the Republican or the Democrat, the popular vote was tainted in every one of those cases. And what they should have done is they should have taken their plenary power back and said, no, we're going to, this, this election is all jacked up and we're just going to appoint the legislatures. Now, that may sound, quote, tyrannical to you, but it's actually not. It's in the Constitution, as I just said. In addition to that, that's generally how things ran uh, from the foundation of the U.S. Constitution in, you know, 1789, all the way up until about the 1820s. Uh, after the 1824 election, things started to shift more towards 
what we see today, where you know people get a chance to vote. Look, the legislatures of the several states decided, okay, we're going to go with a popular vote theme here. We're going to let you know uh, qualified uh, members of the state who can vote. We're going to let them vote for president, and that's that's how we get the system that we have today. Prior to that, when it happened all the way from 1789 until the 1820s is the state legislatures would simply vote and say, okay, no, we're going to give all of our electoral votes to the Democratic Republican uh, presidential candidate or the Federalist candidate. Um, and that's how, that's how it went throughout most of the early republic. That started to shift, like I said, during the Jacksonian age, and that's when, quote, the Democratic Party was formed. That's why they're called the Democratic Party. They were basically behind this movement. Um, and so, basically, this whole idea that this is some sort of crazy right-wing, you know, radical idea is just not based in any historical fact whatsoever. And... As a legal doctor, and I'm not a lawyer, but it seems pretty straightforward to me. The purpose of the Constitution is to be a very easy document for people to read, all right? You shouldn't need a law degree in order to read the U.S. Constitution, all right? It's pretty simple. In fact, look at how big it is. I have it right here. It's not very big. In fact, this is more than just the U.S. Constitution, all right? It can fit in a pamphlet, and that's the idea, is that you should be able to carry the Constitution in your pocket. You should be able to read it. Every citizen should know it. It's your constitution. It's the supreme law of the land. So the idea here is ridiculous. And the Supreme Court, frankly, doesn't really need to weigh in on this particular case. They've already weighed in on it. In the North Carolina State Supreme Court is just totally deciding this case wrong in the first place. I refer to the case of McPherson v. Blacker, 1892. And the idea is this. A state has the plenary power, the state legislature has the plenary power to simply appoint electors for the electoral college, if that's what they want to do. They also have the power to hold an election by popular vote. And... This decision of McPherson v. Blacker, 1892, the Supreme Court weighed in. They said specifically that a state can hold an election and you can appoint electors based upon that popular vote. However, if your uh, method by which you're holding this election by, and going to appoint these electors by popular vote was not followed, if the process wasn't followed, then the state legislature can take back their plenary power and simply appoint the electors that they deem fit. It's that simple. So the Supreme Court is likely going to look at this. It's now, you know, I wouldn't say that they're radical. They're doing their job, which is to read and interpret the Constitution. And I would assume that they're going to be able to read the black and white ink the same way that you or I could and say, yeah, no, the, the legislature thereof has the power to decide how this process is going to work. Not the state Supreme Court, not the state you know, attorney general, not the state secretary of state, not the governor, the legislature thereof. And if the left doesn't like that, well, then I have a very simple solution for you guys. 
all you have to do is amend the Constitution. So if you can get your constitutional amendment to put in place and get rid of the Electoral College and put in place a popular vote, nationwide popular vote, well, then just get it past the House of Representatives, three-fourths, or I'm sorry, two-thirds of the House of Representatives, two-thirds of the Senate, and three-fourths of the states. Good luck. Thanks for listening to Impolite Company, presented by The Doc Line. If you like what you heard, be sure to rate our podcast and leave a five-star review for us.